we want to go to uh, two portions of Scripture, Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter uh, 14. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, they're quite close together. And uh, we want to read from Ezekiel first of all. So I'm going to read from verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus saith the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. Behold, you're wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. Notice the exclamation mark after that. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die beneath this, die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God? But you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hands of aliens. For I have spoken, saith the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Take up a lamentation against the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. And then in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 11. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Amen. We'll come back to those two portions a little bit later. Uh, During the World War II in the deserts of North Africa, uh, the British and her allies were suffering defeat after defeat at the hands of one of the most celebrated German soldiers of all time, Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, 
uh, later to become known, nicknamed by the British as the Desert Fox. In 1940, uh, Rommel was put in charge of the Africa Corps. And he was the commander of the feared and elite 7th Panzer Tank Division. And this wily and brilliant and master strategist uh, seemed unbeatable. And actually for a long time uh, he was vastly superior not only uh, with the weapons and the tanks that he had, but also with his strategies and his tactics. And he also seemed to relish desert warfare. It looked as if he was absolutely made for it. Uh, Churchill said of him, we have a very daring and skillful opponent against us, and may I say across the havoc of war, a great general. And so all across North Africa at this particular time, the morale among the British and their allies was at a very low ebb indeed. Something had to be done, and it was done. Uh, Churchill appointed a new commander, Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery, or Monty, as he also became known as, as a nickname. And Monty was destined to become a hero, uh, the stuff of legend and folklore. And he immediately set about to lift the morale of the troops, particularly uh, the tank commanders and their divisions. And so he would go out and meet them and stand upon a tank and give rousing speeches and just try to encourage them. And he also became famous for wearing his black beret. And on his black beret, uh, he wore two badges. Uh, one was his uh, general officer's badge, which he is obliged to wear, of course. And the other was the Royal Tank Command badge, which he decided himself that he would wear as a way of identifying uh, with his troops again to build up the morale, to let them know that he was fully engaged with them. That here was a commander that would not be away behind the lines, that he would be right up front with them. And, uh, and so his reputation began to grow. Uh, he told his Whitehall superiors that he would not take up this position of commander unless they promised that they would send him better armaments and greater and superior tanks than the Germans had got. And of course, he got his way. There's a story that after his appointment, he was supposed to have said, after having an easy war, things have now got much more difficult. An officer standing by was supposed to say, Cheer up, sir, you may still win through. At which point, Monty said, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about Rommel. And uh, so he had a powerful positive attitude and he believed that he would get the job done. He also commissioned uh, what he called his war wagon, a great big truck. And, uh, and in this mobile bunker, as it were, uh, that's where he planned his strategies and met with his officers. And he also put up a, a frame picture of Colonel Erwin Rommel right there in his war wagon. And whenever asked why he did that, he replied, Well, by looking at my foe, I can imagine his tactics and his strategies, and I can convince myself that he can be defeated. You have to understand at this point that the feeling was that he was unbeatable. 
that they could not be defeated. And that's why the morale was so low. But Monty didn't believe that. And so you know the end of the story probably uh, that at El Alamein in Egypt, uh, he finally defeated Rommel and his feared uh, panzer uh, division. Not only that, but he actually chased them out of Africa altogether. Historians say that that was a turning point in World War II. Uh, the defeat of Rommel, not only was it great for the British, but the morale of the Germans after that, they began to get rather low too. And so today, I want us to take a look at our great enemy, our infernal foe, the evil one, Satan. He too is a formidable opponent, a brilliant strategist, a master tactician, a man of war as it were. But, thank God, he is defeatable. In fact, our great commander, the commander of the hosts of heaven, has already defeated him. As far as heaven is concerned, the war has already been won. Yet, our enemy still persists in doing battle with us. Now, whilst we do not want in any way to magnify him or certainly not to glorify him, we would be very foolish if we would deny him or ignore him. Because he is still very much alive and he's still very much on planet earth wrecking havoc where he can. And so our only purpose really is to, in highlighting him, is to expose him. Because light exposes darkness and truth exposes error and lies and knowledge exposes ignorance. And Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices. And so our textbook will simply be the Bible. So those who deny its final authority, its infallibility, need listen no longer because this is fact, not fantasy we're talking about. Our torch is going to be the light of God's Word, exposing and uncovering. Our tactics will build up a dossier, or as it says in TV with the detective stories, an M.O., the enemy's modus operandi. How does he work? What are his strategies? What is he like? And so we need to find this out. Now let me say before we do this, let me say that to have a fixation with the devil or with demons is not healthy. It's not healthy for anyone and it's certainly not healthy for the believer. It's not something that we focus on continually. Some people do, we certainly don't. And often people who do focus continually on the devil or demons uh, are actually looking for escape clauses uh, for oftentimes their fleshly habits and behavior or their sinful habits and behavior. And it's easy just to blame the devil when oftentimes what we need to do is surrender our flesh and surrender our sin to the Lord. And so we can blame the devil all we want, but if it's sin or if it's the flesh, it's not going to go away anytime soon until we deal with it. All right? Now, some exotic ideas has come into the church over the years and in recent times especially uh, about the devil and about demons, and it has only caused 
all kinds of problems within people's lives and within churches, and we want no truck with it. I'm not going to go into all of that at all, this particular point, or maybe not at all. I don't want to fill your mind full of rubbish and nonsense that's neither scriptural or biblical or sensible or wise. And, and that would only give the devil opportunity to, to, for him to be magnified, which we're not going to do. And so what we want to do is, we want to look first of all at his creation. And we'll do that this morning. Look at his creation. And then we're going to look at his character. What is he really like? How does the Bible describe him? And then we're going to look at his campaign, his strategies, how he does things. He is highly organized. Trust me. Uh, he has a hierarchy of demonic spirits and angels under him. And so we need to know what that is and what their role is. And so... Obviously, that's not going to be done in one service. It's going to take uh, a couple of weeks to do this, and we'll do it. It'll be a short series. Uh, but first of all, we want to go uh, immediately and look at his creation. In the time that we have left this morning, and there's time to do this, we'll have quickly a look at his creation, his origin, uh, his beginnings. Uh, he was and is a created being. Uh, and that is to say, he's not like God, he's not self-existent. He's a created being. He had a beginning, and he will also have an end. He is not like God, he is not omniscient. Omniscient means that he, he's not all-seeing, all-knowing, like God. He's not omnipotent, like God, all-powerful and almighty. And he's certainly not like God in this sense that he's not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere present. He can only be in one place at one time because he's only one being. Now, he does have hosts of minions under him, but he personally can only be at one place at one time. So he is limited, even though he does have power and he does have wisdom. And he can go places, but he is limited in that. Now, because he is a created being, uh, he's not merely just an influence or some kind of impersonal force or some kind of vague, nebulous, wispy thing. He is a literal created being, an angelic-type creature. And uh, so we need to understand that this is who we're dealing with. And the reason why we read Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, uh, because those are two chapters uh, which Bible scholars say contain what is called the law of double reference. What is the law of double reference? Well, the law of double reference is simply this. Speaking to or of one person while actually referring to another person who is behind them or beyond them. Simply put, remember Jesus was, in Matthew 16, he was talking to his disciples about going to the cross and going to Jerusalem and how he would be badly treated and eventually he'd be crucified and he would die and he would rise again the third day and so forth. 
And uh, of course the disciples were not expecting anything like that. He was the Messiah. He was going to kick the Romans out and he was going to take over and be king and they would be all his subjects. But, so that was totally way beyond their thinking. And Peter being Peter, of course, uh, being the unofficial spokesman, he says, far be it from thee, Lord, this shall not happen unto you. Remember what Jesus says. Get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense unto me. You don't savor the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Now, obviously, he's not saying that Peter is Satan, but he's implying very strongly that it was Satan who was behind that statement. It was Satan who put that thought into his mind. He just expressed that. All right? And so that's the law of double reference. Uh, you see that, of course, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, uh, where God, of course, comes into the garden and he speaks to the serpent. This is after the fall. And he says, You are cursed. On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust, and there'll be enmity between uh, you and the woman, uh, between her seed and your seed, and uh, it shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. And so when you read that, you can see that God is, even though he's talking to this creature, this serpent, but behind this creature, he's really talking to the devil, isn't he? That's the law of double reference. What's that got to do with Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14? Well, it's talking about a king of Babylon. It's talking about a king of Tyre or a prince of Tyre. It's talking about two natural men, leaders of these two kingdoms. But behind these two natural men, there is the devil. There is demonic power that is energizing them. And so when you read those two chapters... You're reading about a man, about a king, about the prince of Tyre, the king of Babylon. And then as you read on, even though it's saying things that could only be described as a man, you are not a god, you're a man. But then as you read on, you'll see there's things said that can only be uh, attributed not to a man, but to another creature, another angelic being, the devil or some great supernatural power that's behind those two. So that's the law of double reference. Are you still with me? Yeah. All right. So, if we could just make that a little bit more clear, if you look at Daniel chapter 10, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. By the way, that's where the Daniel fast comes in. Uh, now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed with linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude." 
And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and I saw this great vision. No strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, and with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was yet speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day you have set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. There's a great, <laughs> a great thing to think when you pray and you're desperate and you send a prayer to God that God heard at the moment you prayed. It may, it may take a little while before the answer comes, but God heard your prayer. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. What does that mean? That means that this great angel, which would probably be Gabriel, who was the messenger angel, had come to give Daniel the interpretation. But as he was coming, he was held up, and there was a war in heaven. And he says, the prince of Persia withstood me. That great angelic demonic creature that was over that region and was having great influence over that particular king. And he says, it lasted for 21 days until I needed reinforcements. And then Michael, the great warring archangel, came to my assistance. And if you read on, which we won't, you read on when going back again, they had to fight their way through. So that lets us know that behind the scenes, even today, there are certain nations you look at, and it wouldn't be too hard to imagine that there are, is a great demonic prince of that nation that's influencing and causing all kinds of things to happen. This is the reality behind the scenes that we can't see with our natural eyes. And so... What about Satan? Well, he is a spirit being. We see that. He is a created being. We see that. He was called Lucifer, which means day star or son of the morning or light bearer or shining one. And uh, we see that in Isaiah 14, Second uh, Corinthians eleven fourteen also. He was anointed cherub in the heavenly sanctuary. He was the covering cherub placed by God to cover the throne. I'm not going to give you all the scripture reference. It would take too long. If you've got a good Bible concordance, you can look them up yourself. He was an Eden in the garden of God. Ezekiel 28. So when it says you were an Eden in the garden of God, that could not be referring to any ordinary king. Sure it couldn't. Obviously it's referring to Lucifer himself. He was in the holy mountain of God. He was perfect in the day that he was created. He was full of wisdom. He was perfect in beauty. He was decked with precious stones set in gold. Now, whenever we did 
was it last year, the year before we did that series on the high priest and we looked at all those precious stones that were set, beautifully set upon his breastplate? Well, Lucifer had a robe, had a coat, had a covering of precious and beautiful stones. Can you imagine that? And here was the shining one with all these beautiful stones and the, and the, and the shining would come through the stones. It must have been absolutely beautiful to see. He was created with music in his being, apparently being a leader of, heavenlies, of heaven's worship. I'm going to have a look more at this tonight, by the way. He was created with music in his being. Not just that he could play instruments, but he was actually created with instruments in his being. We'll look at that tonight. And he once, obviously, was in the truth. But then he fell. How did he fall? He was lifted up because of his pride over his God-given wisdom and anointing and his beauty. And he was lifted up because of his pride. He exalted himself and he came under condemnation. He manifested his will against God's will. Whenever we looked at Isaiah 14, those few verses, he said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. There's a progression in that pride until his pride is full-blown. Actually, I will be like God Himself. What pride is in that statement? And because of that, he fell through his self-will and his pride. He wanted to be independent of God. Is that not man's problem today, wanting to live independently of God and having the pride to want to do that, to be able to live without God or God's influence or God's help? People say, well, Christianity is just a crutch. Well, we're not ashamed to say we need God's help. <laughs> we can't live without His help because we've been humbled. We've come to realize that we need God's help. And so, here is a powerful, powerful being who at one time was the anointed cherub, the one who covered the very throne of God, the one who caused all heaven to rejoice and to worship the Lord God. And yet, in the midst of all of that, that was not enough for him. He wanted even to be in God's very throne and to be like God. Remember the temptation in the garden to Adam and Eve? You shall be like God, knowing good and evil. That's what he wanted to be like. He wanted to be just like God. To have all power and all authority and all wisdom and all might. And pride rose up in his heart. You know, that's the greatest sin. That's the sin that God hates the most, is pride. And pride is so subtle, isn't it? 
All of us struggle with pride, don't we? <laughs> we really do. All of us struggle with it. Because that's the very heart of sin itself, is pride exalting ourselves against God. Feeling we can live without God. We don't need God. We don't need to pray. We don't need to seek God. Because we can do it on our own. It's just pride, isn't it? And so here is this great creature that God created for His glory. But pride comes in. And we'll have time to go into this, but we believe according to Revelation that He was able to draw onto Himself a third of the angels that side it with Him. Thank God two-thirds stayed true. And so He fell. And because of His fall, even though He retains wisdom and all of that, but it's corrupt, it's perverted. And we're going to look at that tonight. Because tonight we want to look at not His creation, but we want to look at His character. And what was a wonderful character, what was something beautiful, has now become something ugly and sinful. And it's totally changed. And so He has come among men. And as we go on tonight, we're going to see what He does and what He's like and what His nature is like. You know, His names denote His nature. And there's quite a long list of His names. We'll only pick a few of them. But His names denote His nature. And we need to know what His nature is. Because if we're not going to be ignorant of His devices, then we need to know who our enemy is. When Monty looked at that photograph, he tried to imagine, now what is his tactics? What is he going to do next? I need to know this. And he outsmarted him. And defeated his foe. So we need to look into God's Word and see who our enemy is, our great adversary, and be able to say, we can, with God's help and God's grace and God's strength and God's power, we can defeat Him in our lives. And that's why we're doing this. All right? And so, God willing, as we go through this, and then, God willing, next Sunday morning, we want to look at his campaign. We want to look at some of the things that we see about him. Uh, we see that he's got an army. Uh, we'll see that he's got armaments. We'll see what weapons he uses. Uh, we'll see uh, uh, how he can get sneaking in on our lives. See how he can influence all the rest of it. We can see how his hierarchy of demonic spirits are under him. What are those different levels? Uh, we already looked at some of them this morning. The princes, the ones who are really high up. And then, of course, there's the ones who's really low down, but they still uh, can cause all kinds of problems. And why we do this, as I said again, we know we're going to fixate it with this. It's something we talk about periodically. Do you know the last time I taught this was probably about nine or ten years ago? So this is not something we do every week, by the way. We don't need to do it all the time. But once in a while, we need to see who our enemy is and then be able to know what we're dealing with. Amen? And so we're going to do that. Now, I'd encourage you, if you can, if it's possible, 
to try to get out tonight and don't miss it if you can and see what his character is. Because some of those scriptures we read this morning, and I don't want to preempt what I'm going to say tonight, but some of those scriptures we read this morning actually are ways of influence and they're influencing over the whole world and they're influencing us. And we ought not to let them influence us in any way. But they're subtle. They're very, very subtle. So we need to talk about this tonight. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.